0: God, before Paul preaches, uh, we'd like to lift him up to you today. He's a little tired today, Father. Last night was a little hard on him, but uh, you give him the courage and strength that he needs to do all the chores that you give him, God. And they're not just chores that we have to do, but doing your work, Lord. And I know you've given this man everything he needs to do everything that you want him to do, including this sermon today, Father. I pray that you'll bless him, give him wisdom as he speaks to us, I pray that his words would be your very words, God, and that you would undergird him as he delivers them, and that you'll bless him for doing it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Um, do want to do give you one, one quick uh, person to recognize. Uh, We're we've blessed here this morning to have Pastor Ronnie and his wife um, from Mountain View Baptist Church. He's got a Sunday off, and so he's our worship with us. So please give him like Chick fil A gift cards, <laughs> money out of your wallet, all that kind of stuff. Um, so honored to share in worship with y'all guys. Um, also, we're the Mountain View crew. This is our gang sign. We roll around out the window and do this. So, if you ever see this, it's the Mountain View crew. So, only those of, us, those of us south of the border can do that. Um, so, this is Psalm 126. And so, it's short. It's short, but we want to we engage Psalm 26 in a way that hopefully uh, you're not just going to look at it as just. You know, this short part, but it's packed with stuff. So, read along with me. When the Lord restored the exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And the, nations, and the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What a joy. Or actually, your NIV may say, what a joyous people we are. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They will weep as they go to plant their seed, but they will sing as they return with their harvest. Uh, the, word in, the word in verse 4 is uh, restore again, or you might, you might say um, bring us back, or, or this whole restore our fortune, or turn again, you might see it. But in reality, it's just a really easy way to say do it again. And those of you that have kids, you've heard this a time or 80. Do it again. Can I do it again? Do it again. Again. Do it again. I, I go in, my wife teaches in the ones class here. They don't even know how to speak. You read them a book, they're done. They throw that junk in the corner, and they go get another one. They just hand it to you, and they're like, parents, you understand this? You, ones is not enough. Just do it again. Do it again. And it's great if you only have two kids, but when you get onto to Guatemala on a mission trip, there are eight million kids. Right there in that one community. Um, and so a few years ago, uh, Aubrey Parker had this on video. I will post it to my Facebook page later today. I don't want to show you the video because you would laugh and I would never get you back. Um, but if you do one thing for one kid in the community in Guatemala, you better be ready to do it for all of them. And so Colby Engel, who's one of our students, he, he did this deal where he would do his arms like this. And then children would come and you know, kind of grab his arms or grab over him and hook over him. And then he would do the helicopter with them and swing them around. Well, that's great. Randy, were you there for this? Randy was there. Um, I think my, my family was there too. And you know what? That's good and all. That's all good and well, but again, do it again, that gets tiresome, like with the entire village of Guatemala right there. And so we're watching Colby, and like he gets these kids up, and he does this, and it's starting to get dark, and he's done like 80 sets of kids now at this point, point. and we watch him, and this all of a sudden, this last one comes up, in 80 sets of kids, and do it again takes its toll on a white person's body. And so he gets him up, and he does this, and then all of a sudden, it takes a toll on his body, and he powerbomb slams both of those children to the ground. It was awesome. <laughs> so good. Man, y'all know our Kids are green at that stage. They bounce. They get back up. They do it again. But you know what? Do it again. Do it again. It's a very childlike thing. It's a very childlike prayer. Do it again. Do it again. But in verse 4, the psalmist is saying, do it again, Lord. Restore. Bring it back. Now, this is a different kind of psalm of ascent. Psalms of ascent are going up in Jerusalem. Because this psalm was written about 200 years later from the, from the psalms of ascent that we've been going on. The psalms of ascent earlier about written about 700. These are in the 500s. And these are when the Israelites are returning after having been in captivity to Jerusalem. Now, as they're, this, they're coming back again, this do it again means to restore, to turn again. And Ezra actually uses it when he, when he is talking about the exiles returning. David says it in Psalm 51 as well, restore to me, restore unto me again. We think that this book was either probably written by Ezra or Haggai or Malachi. But notice there is something, we're going to do a little, bit of, a little bit of Hebrew grammar here. The psalm begins with joy. Notice it begins with joy, verses 1 through 3. And then if you notice in your Bible, you'll see what is called a literary pause, and you'll, you'll notice that open line right there, that's because this is poetry, and it's to, just to make you understand that there is a pause right here, there's a transition that's going to happen. And so we go from joy, and then the joy fades, and notice that there begins from joy into a now, an ask, a prayer, a repeat for God to do the same thing. And so verses 1 through 3 are a remembrance, a memory, verses 4, 5, and 6 are a prayer for restoration. Now, this is also, don't, don't think to yourself, well, gosh, man, I didn't come this morning for a Hebrew lesson. This is universal for all believers, right? We are dead in our sins. Christ comes and gives us life through the power of the gospel of his shed blood on the cross, and we're alive. We have gone from being dead to life, and then you know what happens in the middle of that? Life. Life happens. Life happens. We have, been, we have life, and but we also look forward to what God is going to do and when he's going to restore in the books of Daniel and the books of Isaiah and the books of Revelation and even the small apocalypse in Mark or Luke, and we think, I can't wait for that. But in the middle, we have this in-between time. So we're going to deal with all of those things here in the text, but if you've got your Bible, turn to it. We'll look at this on the screen as well. Verse 1, historically, what is going on is Cyrus has said to the, said to the Israelites that are in Babylonian captivity, listen, you can go back. You can go back and back to your homeland. Go back there. Now realize, at one minute, they're exiles and captives in Babylon, and the next, they're free. Same thing happened in the book of Exodus. They were slaves to Pharaoh, and the next thing you know, Pharaoh says, go. I don't even want to see you anymore. Go. And you can just imagine, they're slaves. The next thing you know, they're rolling out of the country being given presents by everyone. Same thing is happening as well in this. If you look at the book of uh, Ezra, you look at Nehemiah as well. They're leaving. They've been given these provisions, and as they go, they go, man, was just one minute? It was this. The next minute is this. Very similar to when we are saved, Romans 5, 8. When we were dead in our sins, Christ came and died for us. So, So even in this life, we go from death to life, and the next minute we go, I never knew I never knew it was like this. It was like a dream. It was just amazing, especially if you think about yourself at that moment of conversion or when you were born again and you went, oh my gosh, I was dead and I was—I felt like I was asleep, but now I'm truly alive. And so this ascent is saying to them as well, listen, there was a time that the people that were, the people that were coming up into the gates of Jerusalem... They had just been slaves. They had just been, uh, they had just been outcasts and exiles, and now they're coming back. We want to remember what that was like. And so in verse 2, we get this song that happens. Now, you and I think to ourselves, we're like, yeah, of course they were singing. no. Song has now returned to the exiles. So again, if we take it in the 700s, where a lot of these songs and psalms were written, they were singing all the time. But if we go and we look at actually what's going on in Psalm 137, Psalm 137 is a psalm about what happened when the Israelites were taken and dumped into Babylon. And in Psalm 137, the Babylonians taunt people, they taunt them, and they're taunting the Jews, and they're like, "Hey, why don't you sing us one of those songs from Zion?" Yeah, why don't you sing those songs? And the, and, the, and the Jewish people are sitting there, and they wept on the, by the streams of Babylon. We laid up our harps, and we wept. They taunted us, and we said, how can we sing the songs of Zion in a foreign country? But now, song has returned. Worship has returned. We're responding to the Lord. We're responding to the Lord about his faithfulness, his goodness. And when we respond, nations around us see it, and they go, whoa. Whoa, what's going on? Same thing happens when you are born again, especially if you've lived a few decades. When you're born again, people that know you, and they know you as a drunk, they know you as a carouser, they know you as a philanderer, they know you as a cheater, they know you as a foul-mouthed person, and they see you and they go, who got a hold of that guy or that girl? What's going on? Praise God, I don't know what happened, but whatever's happened to them is amazing. I want to know more about that. Same thing is going on here. Then in verse 3, Though this is also a psalm of ascent, it's vertical in nature. It's vertical. Listen, they're saying in this verse, we're going to testify about what God has done in our lives. We're going to testify about how, about how good he is. We're going to talk about the joy, and we're going to remember. Now, I want to say this as a, as a Christian. In the in-between time where we live, sometimes joy seems fleeting, but memory is quite often a trigger of joy, and, and God, you may be like, God, I don't know what you're doing right now, but I can remember Married couples, you darn well better know this because you pay more for the video of your wedding than your wife's bridal gown, right? And how many times have you watched your wedding service since you got married? How many of y'all are like, hey, listen, the Panthers are on this afternoon, or we can watch our wedding. And even your wife is like, Panthers, you know? Well, why? Why do you, you remember? And it triggers the joy. Even if you're in the middle of, of fighting over the Kohl's cash, Memory brings joy. And so verse 4, we get this word again, turn again in verse 4. Turn again, restore, do again. And this is a bold ask. This is a bold ask because God has given them their land back again. God's given them their land back again. So they're saying, hey, we got our land back again. This is awesome. Can you return it again back to the original state? Can you restore it back to the time when we were coming in and out of this temple with joy, offering sacrifices, meeting our friends, rubbing elbows with people that are no longer here? Can you do that? Can you do it again, God? And this is a very childlike prayer. We're going to talk about this a lot more later on. This is a very childlike prayer. And this is a prayer, the kind of prayer that a kid that a kid would pray or a kid would ask. Case in point, have you ever gone to a really nice restaurant, or even not a very nice restaurant, but you go with like a big group of people, and your waitress or waiter is busting their behind? And they come out to you, and they have, they're carrying this thing that looks like a whole tabletop with everybody's meal on it. And they've been filling your drinks with one hand and, like, slinging you out ranch dressings with this hand. And they're just, like, bringing their sweat coming off of them. And, like, you know your kid's going to ask for extra ranch even after all that. They got eight ranches on their plate. They're going to ask for extra ranch. And you, this, they're, y'all need everything? You need everything? You good? You good? You good? And the waitress or waiter takes five steps away, and you see your kid about to open your mouth. You're like, you will not see. Take that Rafe, and you will like it. Is that the way it works at home, Mom? No. Christmas story. My mother had not had a hot meal for herself in seven years. Man, it's it's like there's an alarm the minute Mom that you get done with all that stuff, or Dad you get done with all that stuff. There's an alarm right there. Your butt hits the seat, and like, "Hey, Mom, can I have some more?" You want to be like ungrateful urchin, you know? But it's a very childlike prayer. Even after you've done all this for me, can I have more? Can you do it again? Very childlike prayer. And so it's the kind of ask that is very, very powerful. Now, when he talks about the streams that are going out into the desert, that's an illusion that every Israelite would have understood because there was an area of Israel called the Negev, which is not like it's negative. That's a negative note. The Negev, which is the area that would have been a desert. It would have been a desert most of the year until the rains came down in the mountains, which would come down and fill the troughs that are dry a lot of time, but would fill them up with water, and it would go out into the Negev and water it, and then all of a sudden it would be restored. So verse 5, he says, now listen, as you're reading this, they plant in tears, they harvest in joy. You need to read this with a little bit of a visual of what's going on in Israel as they're thinking about this. The exiles are not returning to a built wall or, a, or built buildings or even a temple. They are returning to rubble. They're returning to rubble. The whole work of rebuilding the temple reminds them of how far they have come. And I mean that in a bad way. Not Virginia Slims, look how far you've come, baby. Like, look how far we have fallen, dude. So we are so far. The task of rebuilding is painful. And as they rebuild, they're reminded of pain and loss. And so their response is, those who plant in tears will harvest joy. And there's, there's an insinuation that it will be worth it in the end. And so in verse 6, it comes, picks right up where that goes. And it talks about the, though they plant, they weep as they plant, they will sing as they return. To plant something when you don't have costs. To plant something when you don't have it costs. Now, I want you to realize this. The Israelites, and if you think about grain, they would have had grain. Grain means that you can have bread tonight, right? You got grain, now you can have bread tonight. If you have grain and you plant it in the field, when can you have bread? You can't have bread, get this out of your vocabulary. You cannot have bread when you harvest it. You can have bread if, because the essence of faith is to plant a seed. No person can make anything come up. And so what he's saying is, listen, you need to have faith and trust that the Lord of the harvest, if you plant and trust in faith with him, he will see it through. That those who, even though it's a cost, we're going to weep as we plant because it costs. We're trusting in what God's going to do. So I've got three quick points for you. I say quick because that will make me want to do them quickly so that we can be done quicker. Listen, I'm into rhymes lately. <laughs> so the first point is, don't stop with, oh, I remember when, but instead lead it, let it lead you to, please, Lord, do it again. Don't stop with, oh, I remember when, but instead let it lead you to, please, Lord, do it again. So verses 1 through 3, if you look at them, you read them, we will read them. When the the Lord returned his exiles, when, we're we're looking back, exiles to, to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled, we're remembering here, with laughter. We sang, in the past tense, with joy. And the other nations said, not our saying or not say, the other nations said, in the past, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for them. Amazing things for us, what a joyer, what joyful people we are. Now this is, this is what we call, this is not blessed assurance, this is called blessed remembrance. Blessed remembrance. And you know what, often in Christian life we live like this. We don't really have much good stuff going on now, but we have a blessed remembrance. Oh, that one time at Centrifuge where I kissed that cute girl and I went down front and gave my life to the Lord. You know, that, is that just me? Okay, good. But you know what, we leave it at that. We have blessed remembrance, and we just leave it there. We go, oh, I remember the good old days. You know, what? is called nostalgia. I remember the good old days. I remember how it used to be. I remember the glory days. I remember when I couldn't wait to get up and read the Bible. I remember when I couldn't wait to go to church. I remember when I heard that song on the radio, and I was like, oh man, I hope they play that in church. I really wanna sing that. And even if they didn't, you are like, I'm queuing that thing up to listen to on the road later on. I remember, I remember, I remember how good it was. And those of you all that, even if you can't relate to that as a believer, you can relate to that in a relationship. You know, there's the point where you started to date your significant other. They could have been an ax murderer. You wouldn't have cared. I remember when you used to be an ax murderer, and you brought me flowers. I'd love to go back to those days. What did you have in your trunk all the time? Okay, anyway. But it's nostalgia. And you know what the problem is? Nostalgia can paralyze you because what you think is God is only a God that did things then. He's not a God that does things now. He, I hear from the Bible he's going to do things in the future. He did things not really doing anything. He will do things, we think. Nostalgia can paralyze a Christian. It can paralyze you in your marriage. It can paralyze a church. But instead, do what the psalmists do here. They have nostalgia, but they don't leave it there. Let nostalgia lead you back to prayer. And so as you remember about how good it used to be, now this is with your walk with the Lord. This is your life with your spouse. This is your life with your children. This is a relationship that you used to have. This is a relationship that you used to have in church. This is the way church used to be. Don't just do that, let it lead you to prayer and say, God, remember that, can you do it again? Can you do it again? Don't just sit in nostalgia, because you know what? Churches die because of the nostalgia. Oh my goodness, what's the, what's the phrase that you've ever heard every church say? We've never done it that way before. Right, and I just kind of want to go, all right, sweet, let's all get horses and carriages. We'll make the women wear bonnets. I don't even, what's a bonnet, anyway? Pretty sure a bonnet is something you can put change in and put on your head. But we've never done that way before. Yeah, we might not do it that way again, but God can replicate the closeness and the intimacy that he had, and especially in your marriage as well, and in your walk with the Lord. When we say, God, do it again, And those of you that have been married a long time, you know that he can do this. Even especially in your marriage. Those of you that have been walking with the Lord a long time, you also know he can do it again. That love drunk that you had with God when you first were raised to life, he can and will. So boldly pray this prayer. And here's the caveat to it. Even if your distance from the Lord, your spouse, or your church is because of your own sin pray it anyway. Psalm 51, 12, David says, same exact language. After he has sinned with Bathsheba and had her husband Uriah killed, he says, God, so boldly, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And we go, man, that is a gutsy ask. David knew what we ought to know. We boldly ask this very childlike ask. We do. Ask without hesitation because we know who we're asking. Luke 12, 32. Jesus says this. And so little children, do not despair. Ask your father. And then this part. For your father delights in giving you the kingdom. So ask him. Ask him. Let nostalgia lead you to prayer. To say, God, do it again. The gospel has put us in a place of privilege. Well, we are the kids sitting around the table, and the father is the father, and the big brother is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's there, and we don't know what he looks like, but that's okay. And we can go, God, I know that you set all this, and can you do it again? And the father delights in giving you the kingdom. Secondly, in this kingdom of life we live in, we live with joy, even though we live in the in-between. This kingdom, this gospel kingdom, we live in the gospel kingdom. You live in the gospel kingdom, a kingdom that has been set where Jesus Christ is reigning now, and you and I are evidence of his reign in our lives because we were dead and now we're alive again. We're alive in Christ. So in this gospel kingdom, the life that we live, we live with joy because it is the in-between time. It is the in-between time. So in verses one through three, we get this joy. We get joy at remembering salvation. Now, they literally have physical salvation. They were captives. Now they're free and they're coming back. They have joy because of their salvation. They have new life. Even other nations praise that. Praise that. They're like, we, we knew what it was like for you. And wow, look what's going on. Same thing happens for us, like I said before. People, people look at us when we become born again. They go, what happened to her? What happened to him? Oh, my goodness. Wow, they're different. They're changed. So the in between verses 3 and 4, there is this pause. And the pause is the Now. For all intents and purposes, for the believer, the pause is the now that we live in. And as the people will talk about, you, you might hear say, the pause is the dash in your tombstone. Really, really, it's the dash in your tombstone between when you're born again and when you die. It's the pause is the now. It's, it's where we live. And you know what? It's, it's the now. And then in verses 5 and 6, four, five, and 6, he's talking about the future. 4, 5, and 6 is actually a prayer. So the praise and the remembrance leads him to a prayer, and it's a beautiful illustration, again, that that praise leads us to prayer. But I want to ask you then, so I said that now the life that we live in is the in-between time, and I want to ask you, what kind of in-between time actually is it? If I said, how is this in-between time between the time that you've been raised to life in Christ and the time before he has come back or we go to him in glory to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Father, present with the Lord, how is that in-between time? What does it look like? What kind of in-between time is it? And I want to tell you, that the in-between time that we have is actually a really incredible in-between time, even though you and I don't believe it. Now, we're getting ready to come into this, and I want you to remember this when we get there. Because I personally think that the best in-between time in the year is about two weeks from now. The best in-between time in the entire year is between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Is it not? It's the best. Uh, all right. Barring, barring dysfunctional families and things that hurt, it's the best time of the year. You look back on this thing and you're like, that was awesome. That was awesome. I watched football and no one yelled at me. And I ate. And I got to hang with people. And we stayed up and we fellowship, And then you're looking forward to what? Jesus is coming. And it's the best time of the year. It's the best time of the year. And you eat and you stay up late and you watch dumb things on TV that you would never watch, But it's Christmas and you're like, hey, let's watch it. So what does that in-between time look like? What does it look like for a Christian in terms of what does their life look like? It's the same thing. We live between Thanksgiving and Jesus coming. That's where we live. So what is it like? It's like work. It's like work. Now, I know some of y'all hate the holidays. Y'all can just be quiet and listen for a little while and learn to love the holidays and don't be a grinch. But anyway, how do you work when you're planning for a Christmas get-together together Compared to where you're planning for a term paper. When you're planning for a Christmas get together, I don't know about y'all, but like everyone's dancing. Amy Grant, who's the fourth member of the Trinity during Christmas. We do all of her music, and we're in there, and we're decorating the house. Now, decorating the house means getting all this junk from everywhere, taking it and putting it all down, and put it there, and put it there, and there's heavy boxes, and there's dust, but we're like putting like, da, 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 da. Emmanuel, I love you, Let's put sprinkle some sugar on this, you know, and it's all good, and we're working, we're working, and then my wife's like, and we got 85 people coming over for a Christmas dinner, and I'm like, no problem. I'm going to spice the cider in here. We're good, you know. I'm going to do this pumpkin thing over here. We're going to roast the fatted like chicken from Walmart. Anyway, and we're doing it. We're doing this, and we got 85 things in the oven. We're doing this, and we're like, deck the halls. Are we working? Yeah, we're working. But what are we filled with? Joy, because we're in the in-between time. we got so much to be thankful for, and we've got so much to look forward to. And it triggers, it's this hope that we have that that is actually the in-between time. That's what it's supposed to look like. And believers, I want to tell you this. Whether we feel it or not is true. You know what? Whether you feel it or not, it is true. We live in the blessed in-between time. And the beauty of this text is that this text wasn't, you know, it's it's finite, and it's not even necessarily anticipating that the Holy Spirit is going to be with us, filling us. Not even anticipating that we're going to have the 66 books of the Bible, His living word. But we live in this time of joy because of the joy that we have had, the joy that we have now, and the hope that we have for the future. So this kingdom life, we live with joy, we live in the in-between time. And finally, we have faith to plant again because the Lord of the harvest is faithful. We have faith to plan again, because the Lord of the harvest is faithful. Verses four through six need to be read again with an eye of surveying what's going on. Now, there's incredible joy from the the exiles. They're returning up. They're coming back up into the city. Maybe they have kind of like, they're down in the valley. They haven't quite crested up to see, you know, the, the city, which usually would have been you know, painted white so it would glow in the sun. They could see the wall. They could see the buildings as they go up on Zion. They come around, and instead of seeing that, they see rubble. And in my mind's eye, it's still smoking because it just kind of looks epic. But they, they look up, and they get up there. And if you, when you read through Nehemiah, you find that they can't even have ways to go into the city because the rubble is completely blocked every entrance. And the people, the people go, what are we going to do? Not only that, but Nehemiah comes back, and there are, there, there's a guy named Tobias, and there's a guy named Sanballat who have their own kind of renegade armies that are furious that the Israelites are going to come back and rebuild the city. They're furious about it, and so they begin taunting. And, you know, they say, like, oh, I see you rebuilding that wall. And then they give, like, the most, like, harsh Middle Eastern cut down. It would fall down if a fox ran across it. Try that out on your neighbor sometime when they're light building and retaining, well, that looks like it would fall down if a fox ran across it, and they'll be like, oh, I'm so chastened, you know, but anyway, so, you see, they're cutting them down with these cut downs, and you can just imagine, you know, they, they just kind of go, man, is it worth it? Yeah, we're back, but we, we can't even do this. This incredible joy of having been set free is met with how hard and the sobering reality of what this new life is going to be. Now let me flip, because we talked about the joyful in between. Let's talk about the hard in between. The hard in between. Christian life, it is work. It is hard. There is loss. There is frustration. There is hurt. And Nehemiah, you know, would have had scarcity of supplies as he's trying to do this. The new life that we're going to have here, rebuilding Israel is what they're going to do. It is not going to be easy. And the same is true for the believer. We're saved. We're raised from dead to life. We're saved. We're resurrected. And we're a new creation in Christ. But in this life, you might be saved and still have diabetes and not healed from it. You might be saved and still have an addiction that is so hard, that plagues you, that reminds you every day. You might be saved but still struggle with a sin. You might be saved but your family is still broken. You might be saved and you still don't have the money at the end of the month to do what you need to do to take care of your family. And so we have a great tendency as believers to hold on to the grain. And I could just imagine the Israelites, when they get there, they're looking around, they're like, man, we don't have enough. I don't even know if we can stay here. If If we don't get this wall up, we don't get everything built, winter's gonna be hard, we're not gonna have enough. You better hoard that grain, hoard it. Look, and you start doing that. And you and I, we don't know what this is like. Maybe you know what this is like. But can you imagine looking at your sack of grain and maybe taking your table out and pushing a little pile into every part and go, every pile represents a loaf of bread that you could have that night. And Nehemiah comes along and goes, would you be willing to risk planting again? And you go, how much? And he's like, about this much. And you go, that's bread for a month. He goes, Yeah, but if we don't plant, we won't have. But there's no guarantee, Nehemiah, that if we plant, we are gonna have. I'm just gonna take what I got and I'm gonna hold on to it. The church says the same thing. We circle the wagons. We, go, we got Jesus. We got Jesus. If we can keep our heads down, if we can kind of manage this, we'll get through this life. We'll manage our joyful expectation. Our, if, we, we, we could live with about this much joy in our lives. We could live with that. We'll circle our wagons. We'll have about this much joy. We won't, won't expect too much. And we won't ex- because we don't expect too much, we won't get let down when it doesn't happen. We'll, we'll circle the wagons. We'll keep our Jesus right here. It'll be good. We'll kind of have Jesus' time together. It's going to be great. Because giving up this to plant is too costly. Marriages are the same way. I got this. Do you know how much of a risk it would be to invest in that? <laughs> that is your spouse. You get so sick of them, you're like, is, I'm talking about that. I'm not talking about him or her that. that. You're not going to invest in that? Church is the same way. Church is exactly the same way. So thankful that Pastor Bob's legacy is to have come to a church that was sick, dead, and dying and pour into it. Because Too often what happens when a church is sick, dead, and dying is people go, I volunteer as tribute to go to the church down the street. I can't pour more into that. It's going to cost me too much. And the psalmist says, even though you're going to sow in tears, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. Even though you sow in tears, you will sing when you go out to the harvest. Because the Lord of the harvest is faithful. I don't know if you need to hear this because of your walk with the Lord, and maybe he's calling you, he's saying, listen, you got a bonus coming up, it's Christmas time. You know that ministry over in India that you heard about on the internet? You know that pregnancy care center downtown? You know that Food for the Hungry or the you know, Hope Ministry down in Nicaragua? What's going on in Moldova? What, what you got could make an incredible difference. No, God. Maybe it's your marriage. God, I, you don't even want to know how much grain I've given to that. No more. No more. i keep it from me. And God says, if you'll invest, if you'll, even though you sow in tears, when you go out to the harvest, you will sing with joy because you will see how faithful I am. And I love that every year, Christine Cofer, when she, when she plants the Hope Garden, she goes out there, and, and I don't plant this way. I go to Lowe's and Home Depot, and I get the plant when it's this big. Because that cuts down on the amount of failure that I'm capable of. We know what she starts with? Seeds. Seeds. And she sweats and pours. And year after year, the Lord who is faithful raises up a crop again and again. I don't know what the cost you're afraid of paying is. I don't know what it is. Whether it's a literal cost in finances, whether it's a cost in emotion, whether it's a cost in time, whether it's a cost in talent. But we can't circle our wagons and just hold on to this. This is not how the kingdom of God is spread. The kingdom of God is spread when we imitate the one who established the kingdom, who gave his life, poured it all out, and we are the harvest, sitting here right now. In the same way, we pour it out and we trust that the Lord of the harvest will do something incredible. And I say this one more time. As we think about our prayer, Luke 12:32, Jesus says, Do not worry, little children, for it gives the Father great joy to give you the kingdom of God. And you and I have been put at the place of privilege. One more Thanksgiving reference. Some of y'all, like me, it took me until I was in my 20s when I moved from the kids' table to the adults' table. It was more fun at the kids' table, but there was not a lot of privilege. You sit at the table of the father, not at the kids' table, not at the halfway there table, but at the full privilege of a son or daughter of the king. So ask him, Father, do it again. Do it again. Don't let me just remember, but let my remembering lead me to prayer, lead me to praise, lead me to worship. Let me pray for us and we'll finish our time. Jesus, thank you so much that you've given us such an incredible example, an example of your goodness and an example of the hope that we have in you. And, Lord, I pray, Lord, for every heart that is here that is discouraged, that is hurting, that is doubtful, Lord God, that they would trust that what they sow through, in, and by you, Lord God, you will cause to bloom, to grow, to bring you glory and honor. Lord, we want to have the same kind of lives that we're... People that don't know you look and they marvel at what you are doing in the lives of sinful, hard-hearted people like us. Lord God, be lifted high, be glorified. God, we're fearful and we're doubtful, but remind us that you are the Lord of the harvest and none who hope in you shall be put to shame and that you delight in giving us the kingdom. Thank you for giving us this blessed in-between, Lord God, where you walk with us daily, where you never leave us, where you've given us your Holy Spirit, you've given us your word, and you've given us the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It's in your awesome name we pray, Lord. Amen.